This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Yeah. Okay, ready? Parshas Bishalach, everyone, 5783. We're going to talk about a Pasuk, Perak Yud Zayim Pasuk Yud Aleph, that's toward the end of the Parsha, and the war against Amalek. It says, Moshe When Moshe Beni lifted up his hands, Bnei Yisrael started to win. When he put his hand down, the Gavra Amalek. That's an Amalek started to win. So Rashi asked the famous question. It's a question that everybody knows. By It's by a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah. It's on Chav Tessimit Aleph. And he says, following, he says, were the hands of Moshe the cause of victory, the cause of the loss, when they fought against everybody? That doesn't make any sense at all. Certainly not. There's no way that Moshe made him putting up his hands would let them win. And if he put his hands down, that was going to make them lose. But rather, it's the following. Whenever he had his hands up, then Bnei Yisrael saw them, davened to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that caused him to be victorious. When he put his hands down, that caused Bnei Yisrael to stop davening, and then Amalek was victorious. But that obviously takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. That's mostly what this year is going to be about. The Ramban adds that when he put his arms down, he saw Amalek become stronger. So why would he ever put his arms down? In other words, why didn't he just keep his hands up? If he saw every time that he put his arms down, things didn't go well for Bnei Yisrael, just keep your hands up the entire time. There's no reason. So imp shot, you can't leave your hands up all day. I was just in a fair in the South County, South Florida Fair or something like that, the county fair. And they had a game there where you could hold on to a pole. And if you stayed on the pole for two minutes, then you won a big prize. Right? So people, these huge, strong guys with these massive muscles are pulling themselves up there, but it was really difficult. Right? I didn't see anybody that stayed up there for two minutes. Nobody was able to stay there for two minutes. It's a difficult thing to do, and especially to be able to put your hands up and just keep them up. In shots, it's almost impossible. That's Ramban, and that's the idea. But the Sefer Abris, he quotes the Sefer Abris from Yosef Kimchi, and he says in Os Kuflam and Ches, it is learned from this idea that it's forbidden to daven with your arms outstretched to the heavens for more than three hours at a time. Now, my Shimon Asri doesn't make it past ten minutes, right? At the most. Even on Rosh Hashanah Kippur, it's difficult to go that way. But you can't daven for more than three hours at a time. In fact, the gra in Mishle, this is in Chate Yudzain, and the words, pen yasbiako, yasniako, maybe you're going to be too satisfied, you're going to despise, etc., says this is the reason why many kilos have a break so that you're not davening for more than three hours at a time, even though it's not a Shemona Esrei. But they have a break. They have a break in between Shacharis and Musaf, right? For, let's say, for before the Tekiyas and Rosh Hashanah, by Yom Kippur, there might be a little bit of break in between because it's very difficult to keep your attention for more than three hours and people get annoyed. People get super duper annoyed when you try doing stuff like that. What's up, Matthew? Where do you get three hours from? Three hours is... I, the question is... Yeah, we don't know. We don't know where the three hours comes from. Rabbi Yosef Kimchi says in a Sefer Abris, he says three hours is the limit. But why that? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it. But he does bring that down. The reason, the Rekinati says, is that a person isn't Matriach Hashem to do too many things at once. Obviously, this is an obvious thing. If I daven for three hours straight, I'm going to think of a ton of things to ask a Kaddish Baruch for. Some of them are going to be contradictory. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say, no, I want that. Wait a second, I want that. And I'm going to ask for too many things in order to not daven in a contradictory manner, to daven exactly what you need at that time, don't daven for more than three hours, says the Reikonati. Don't do anything more than that. He also says we're not allowed to daven. Okay, whatever. He goes on about the tzinure, kochos, meshpim of the other nations, so we couldn't go so far, etc. Regardless, there's an Ayel Shachar as well, but that's the idea. So this is an awesome idea of not davening for more than three hours, and we learn it from Moshe Rabbeinu that apparently he kept his arms up for three hours, but then he put it down because he couldn't keep it up for longer. Not that he couldn't physically 
but he wasn't allowed to, and therefore he put his arms down. That's the Ramban's answer to this kasha, which is a crazy answer. Now, the Rabbin Bahaya says when he lifted his arms, he was able to silence all the Makatrigan. He's able to silence all the accusers. They had nothing bad to say about Claudius Yisrael, which allowed them to win. But he couldn't leave his arms up, as we just said, right? And the reason why the Rabbin Bahaya says he couldn't leave his arms up is because that would have destroyed the Makatrigan completely, and it was not yet time for the accusers to be destroyed from Klau Yisrael. They still needed the Satan and the Malachamavis and the Yitzhahara. Had Moshe Rabbeinu kept his arms up for any longer, then they would have destroyed all of them. There would be no Satan in the world, no Malachamavis, no Yitzhahara in the entire world. They would all be gone. Says the Rebbe Mechaia, it wasn't time yet for evil to be eradicated completely. There still had to be a choice of good and evil. So there was a choice of good and evil, and therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu had to put his hands down for a while, even if it meant that a Molik would be victorious at that time. And that's the Remez, obviously. A Molik stands for Suffolk, which is the Yitzhahara and the, the Malachamavis and the and the Satan, that idea is, is that no way can we get rid of it completely. We have to allow it to be here in some way, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu put his arms down. The al number 229 says, this was the power that Moshe Rabbeinu was given when he was told, the Zelechahaos, the Zed, the Zion would be his power. That when he held his staff aloft, that was going to be, I guess, the Zion. You hold your hands up high, you will be able to get rid of all Tuma, all Ruchosra, Everything will be eradicated from Klai. So, what's up, Shlomo? Yeah, it, none of them explain it exactly, but I will get to Aaron and Hur. That's obviously the next possible. It's something that I want to concentrate on in a different year. But yes, obviously there is something there. So, believe that, I'll come back to that at some point. The Meamloi says another reason why his arms began to fall. This will be our fourth reason why he couldn't keep his arms up. He says, when B'nai Yisrael had the proper kavana, when B'nai Yisrael were doing everything right, they davened well, then he was able to find the strength to keep his arms up. But when they lost their concentration, when they started concentrating on other things and doing other things, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu could no longer find the ability, the strength to keep his arms up. So really, Moshe Rabbeinu was contingent on the people. The people were contingent on him that they fought well when Moshe Rabbeinu's arms were up, but Moshe Rabbeinu could only keep his arms up when B'nai Yisrael were concentrating on the right things to do. So one had to do with the other. Each one was connected to the other. The Asemis says the same. The kavanas and the tefillahs of the people affected the leader and his abilities. It's brought down to the Panidim Yikara, the Malbim, the Kasnos Or, and the Torah Tamima. They all say the exact same thing. Yeah, Eitan. I would assume that this means that they're concentrating during the war. But I will tell you that certainly those that didn't go to war were davening along with Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Pirkei Rebbe Lezer says that when Moshe Rabbeinu got up, they got up. When Moshe Rabbeinu went down on his knees, they got down on their knees. When he bowed down, then they bowed down. So certainly there were other people in the camps that couldn't fight that followed what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. They were mimicking what he was doing. There's a great story with the Baal Shem Tev that has to do with this idea. Crazy story. The Baal Shem Tev used to daven a really long Shimon Asterisk. So the people that were in the mini with him... You know, sometimes it was easy, sometimes it wasn't. One time, they all finished their Shemones, right? And they looked at the Baal Shem, and the Baal Shem was on like Slach Lanu, you know? And they were just like, oh my gosh. So they were all starving, and they're sitting there, and they're looking at each other like, you know, he's never going to notice. He's going to be going for the next hour. He'll never notice. if we. So we they left really quickly. They ran and ate breakfast. You know, obviously Dunkin' Donuts run, right? They came right back afterward, right? And afterward, they found in the base matters, the Baal Shem was sprawled out on the floor. 
Like literally like arms and legs like sprawled out on the floor. They ran over to him and said, Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe. They lifted him up, right? They put him back into his place and they said to him, Rebbe, what happened? And he said, well, you know that when I daven, I'm able to get to the highest of heights. I'm able to go up to levels of Shemayim. They said, yes, Rebbe, of course. So he said, well, when there's other people in a minion, then I'm able to climb upon their tefillos. I can climb over them to get higher than I would otherwise. If it was just me, I'd only be able to get there. But together with everybody else, I'm able to climb even higher and higher and higher, and I'm able to get to heights that I wouldn't be able to get to otherwise. That's why I daven with a minion. So when the whole minion left, I came crashing down. He came crashing down, fell on the floor and was completely gone. And obviously, this whole idea is a remez. But the idea is, is that if you allow yourself to be picked up by the minion, you can become even greater. If Moshe Rabbeinu connects with the people, then he's allowed to become even greater than he is normally. And obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu himself is lifted up by the people. He lifts up the people with them. Because when you climb up, you're not just pushing them down, you're bringing them up with you. That's the idea behind that story of the Baal Shem Tov. He also says it could be that when a certain sin came up, there would be a reason for B'nai all to lose this war, Moshe Rabbeinu felt his arms heavy and he couldn't keep them up any longer. He realized like, oh, maybe they shouldn't win this war. Maybe they shouldn't be involved. That's the idea behind it. That's when it became too difficult to, for him to do without any help whatsoever. Okay, turn to page two. This could even be due to a sin on Moshe Rabbeinu's part. What was the sin on Moshe Rabbeinu's part? So I saw four different ones that are mentioned by the Miam Loes. Number one, he didn't fight Amalek himself. He sent Yoshua to do it. Now I understand that you got to have from Shevet Ephraim there, somebody from Yosef to be able to fight against Amalek and go up against Esav. But the fact that he sent Yoshua and didn't do it himself was a problem. Number two, he delayed the battle until the next day. He didn't fight Amalek right there on that day. He delayed it till the next morning. And because he delayed it till the next morning when they could have done it right then, that was a problem as well. It could also be that Ben Esau just complained about not having enough water. Rafi Yadayim in a Torah, right? That's the idea that we learned from Rafidim, etc. Or because the Arabs started complaining. Or they only joined Kla Yisrael because of Moshe Rabbeinu and their, well, everything they did was because of Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Or maybe because their schus Avos was challenged by the Schus of Esav, who's the father of Amalek, who is the father over there, and they were going all the way. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, the Torah more mentions the last three, but the last four over there. But any one of these answers could be there. I think there were five answers altogether, really, not four. But either way, any one of those answers could have been the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu's hands became too heavy because of either his sins or Claudius Yisrael's sins or the mitzvot of Amalek. Whatever it is, Moshe Rabbeinu could not keep his hands up. Ibn Ezra says something a little interesting here. He says, the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu raised his arms above is like someone who has a pole. And throughout a war, you always have one guy who's standing there with the flag for their nation. And that represents, he's the flag bearer. He's that guy that's out there. I think in, in Stratego, it's a guy. What's that, what do they call that guy? He like, doesn't have any power. He's just a guy with a little flag. You know what I'm talking about? He's like the guy that goes in front. Anybody know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I forgot what the guy's name is. But anyway. What? But isn't there a guy? No, there's something else. Who's the guy that's in front? The scouts. Oh, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I've played Stratego. It's been at least two weeks. So either way, so regardless, the Ibn Ezra says that that guy is holding a pole. He lifts it. I just show everybody what they're, flying, what they're fighting for. Is, and this is as if he had a flag for Clyde. So he wasn't literally lifting up a flag, but he was lifting up his arms. And everybody said he represents Clyde. So they knew who they were fighting for. And that's the idea. So that's an interesting line over here, right? But 
obviously they have a problem with the Ibn Ezra because why wouldn't someone else have been able to do that? Like, you think if Aaron would have lifted his arms and not Moshe Rabbeinu, they wouldn't have realized who they were fighting for? Or if Hur would have done it, they wouldn't have realized what they were fighting for? So the Ibn Ezra says, I don't know if this is the correct answer. It's got to be the Chazal correct. It sounds cute, but the Ibn Ezra says, although that's the idea that it might be that he's fighting that way, that's not it. But the Rashbam, the Moshe of Zikanim, and the Rapinach Radha all bring this shot. And they said, we know that people fight stronger when they see the country's flag. We know that people fight stronger when they know they're fighting with Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not about Aaron and Hur and what they were able to do. It's about Moshe himself. Moshe represented all of Claudius, so he's equal to 600,000 of them. When he put up his arms, people are like, do it for Moshe. They felt stronger. They felt like they wanted to do something. And therefore, and maybe it wasn't just Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe he held his staff up in the air, they say. Maybe he held his staff up. And they knew that staff. The staff that caused the Makos. The staff that caused Kriyas Yamsuf. Maybe that's what they were looking at. They were seeing the staff and they knew what they were fighting for and that staff was the pole. That staff was the flag of Klau Yisrael. The Bechor Shor says B'nai Yisrael felt strengthened because they knew that when Moshe Rabbeinu had his arms up, they knew they were going to win. When he put his arms down, they were like, oh, they felt disheartened. They felt like they were missing something and that's why they lost him. The Razan Mayor puts all of this together, these answers together. He says, only Yirei Chait, those who feared sin, were fighting in this war against the Amalek. They didn't pick everybody. Not everybody fought against this Amalek war, although everybody is supposed to, supposed to fight Amalek. In this first war against the Amalek, when Yoshua goes out, it was only those who were Yirei Chait, because Amalek was Lo Yirei Elohim. They didn't fear God. So they picked those who were fearing God. Moshe Rabbeinu assured them that I will be there at the battle. I will not be fighting. For whatever reason, Moshe Rabbeinu felt that he couldn't fight, and that's for another time. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, I will not be there, but you will see me the entire time. You will watch me the entire time. And the face of the tzaddik strengthened them and allowed them to become greater. This is the man who had rays of light streaming from his face, who had to wear a mask to cover it up. They knew who Moshe Rabbeinu was. That was the pole, the representation of Klai the strength that they needed to fight this war against everything out there. He did the signs and wonders. And they knew if this guy is there, they felt that confidence. We can do anything we want. We can do absolutely anything with him behind us. That's the idea behind it. Now, Targum Yonason says a little bit different. He doesn't say the lifting of his arms were to show Klau Yisrael who he was and to represent, and that when they saw it, he was davening. This was a tefillah. He was davening to a Kaddish Baruch with his arms up above. As long as he davened, then B'nai Yisrael were victorious. When he stopped davening, then B'nai Yisrael were not. And that goes with what we said above, that there are three hours, the Sefer Abris says, in which you can't daven. The Ramban sort of hinted to this before, that idea of davening itself. The Abarbanel says that this showed B'nai Yisrael understood how important it is to daven. That when you fight in a war, there must be tefillah at the same time. One of the more powerful things that's happened to me in my lifetime is, I was in Eretz Yisrael in 2001, 2002, when the Intifada was really going on in Eretz Yisrael. I was married, I was learning in the Mir Yeshiva. And at the same time, when the army was going in, I obviously wasn't going to the army, I wasn't an Israeli citizen, but I was learning the whole time. There was a guy that came around and gave out names. It was the most powerful thing. I remember going around the entire Mir Yeshiva, everybody got a name that was your soldier, your soldier in the army, in the Israeli army. And everybody got one. Every single one. I remember everyone took it. No matter how Haredi they were, every single person took a name. 
and you got that name. I have no idea what happened to that person. I don't know who he is. I have a name of a person, son of the mother, and I have no idea where it went when I moved back to America. I don't know where the name is. So I have absolutely no idea. And it, it was really powerful for me. I'm not davening for an, unna- you know, an unnamed, un- whatever it is, somebody who's in the middle of nowhere. I'm davening for a soldier that could be on the front lines right now. I'm davening for somebody that could be in the middle of Gaza, that could be in the middle of wherever. And it was very, very, very difficult. Like when you, you sat there and you were like, you know, I think I'm going to go to the bathroom for an extra little bit today because I'm not feeling it. You know, I don't know if I want to learn. You'd be like, <laughs> that soldier doesn't have that choice. You can't get off. So it made me learn for that extra 15, 20 minutes that I might have taken a break or whatever it was. I made sure I was going to stay in the basement for an extra 15 or 20 minutes to make sure that I was learning for that guy. It was a huge, huge thing for me. I tried doing it later. I tried doing this later on. And I said, why don't we do this at all times? Instead of just during war times, why don't we do it at all times? I tried doing it. It didn't work. I tried doing something similar. I, there's a There's something out there. I don't know if everybody knows. Like, for people that have not yet gotten married uh, in New York, there's Rabbi Ginsburg, I think, started something where everybody davens for them, etc. They trade names. They don't know who it is, but you daven. I tried doing that with a bunch of different things. It doesn't. It didn't work for me yet. It hasn't worked for me yet. But I think it's an awesome idea. It's an unbelievable idea. Why wouldn't we have something like that? And that's, I think, what the Abarbanel is trying to say over here. The power of tefillah was done by Moshe Rabbeinu while they were at war, and he was showing them how powerful it is. You don't need me fighting. You need, you need me davening. Me davening is more powerful than anything I could do on the battlefield, even though Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who destroyed Og. That's how strong he was. It didn't make a difference. You need me davening more than you need me fighting. And again, the kasha is, why didn't he fight this war if he fights in the wars later on? It's a good kasha. It's not for right now. The Ksav Kabbalah speaks at length how the word Yad means davening. And he goes through a bunch of different places. So raising one hand, one's hands obviously means to daven because the word Yad means to daven. It shows that. Maybe this has something to do with the sin that Amalek was involved with. Rafu Yadayim Torah. So he lifted his hands to show, I have the strength to lift my hands. They were weak in their hands. I'm strong in my hands. Maybe that's the idea behind it. The Rokeach said simply, he put his hands up, everybody thought about the one above. That's the idea that the Rokeach says for you. However, the Rashbam says, similarly, we show, yeah, what's up, Dave? Uh, why is Amalek uh, so powerful in the sense that other enemies we fight physically? Yeah. So th- there's a bunch of different answers. That also is, it's a subject for another time. And I do have somewhat of a sheer on it, but that Amalek is a little bit different. They sent in only people that couldn't die that day according to astrology. Their astrologer, astrologer says, these people will not die in this day. It was their birthday. They were connected to their mazel. They knew that the malach of that person wouldn't be able to, so they, they sent in those people. So this war, notice it says, Vayachalosh Yoshua, that he weakened them, but he couldn't kill them. There's something different about this war with Amalek. Did it happen every time? No. But Amalek is an extremely powerful spiritual nation. Amalek. Yeah. It's a Amalek versus a regular war. Did it always happen? I don't know what it was like by Haman. I don't know what it was like by Shaul Amalek. Kibud of the aim. That was it. Because they took on what their grandfather, Asaph, wanted. They did it to destroy Klau Yisrael. They took it on for themselves. That keep it up the aim that Asaph excelled at, they excelled at. So they kept that schluss of that mitzvah for years. And the schluss of serving a man like Yitzchak Avinu is something that can last for thousands of years. And it did. It did. It lasted for that. That's their reason for Amalek. But again, not this time, not for right now to be able to go into it, but that's the idea. The Rashbam says that he was holding the matzah high in the air, as we said before from the different Rishonim, that he held it up. The Rabbini Yolo says it's learned from the Biyarim. 
name. He lifted up. He lifted up not just his arms, but the staff. He lifted it up high in the air itself. It's the same word that's used when Moshe Rabbeinu lifted his staff to hit the rock in Parshas Chukas. That's the word that's used over here as well. So that's how we know that it was the staff itself. The Barbanel says this is what people did. They found a high spot. They lifted up their staff, etc. They did stuff like that. The Balitosos says the craziest thing in the world. You hear the craziest thing? He said, he didn't just lift up his staff. Listen to what the Balitosos says. He lifted up the staff and he started moving it in all six directions. Waving it like a lulav. Up and down and in all four directions on the side by Tnufa, like the waving of the different limbs in the base of Mikdush itself. Moshe was doing this to be Mavalvo the Mazelos. He saw that the constellations were saying that Amali couldn't die that day. So somehow by moving his staff around in certain ways, he was able to knock out all of the constellations from where they were. And as long as he kept doing it, Amali could die. And when he stopped, then Amali couldn't die because the constellations were back in place. I have no idea what that means. Can you imagine? Like stars were like, ah, like moving around in the sky. And like the Big Dipper turned into like, I don't know, Orion. And like all these things are like knocking into each other. Like black holes are forming everywhere. While Moshe Rabbeinu is just simply moving his staff around and causing everything to go around. And that's why B'nai Yisrael were victorious. This is a Baltosphos that is saying this. He was able to move around literally this all the stars in the sky to make this happen. Yeah, Avram. Is this like some sort of form? I don't know. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> like, the only time I've ever heard of this is by the Ribnitzer Rebbe. If anybody's read the book about the Ribnitzer Rebbe, it's one of my favorite books. It's the craziest stories. Passed away in the early 2000s. It's not somebody who's like from, you know, the Alterheim, you know? The Ribnitzer... Well, he was actually from the Alterheim in Ukraine, but... Then he came here. He, he did this once. They had to get from Muncie to Brooklyn for a bris. They had like 45 minutes before Shkia and they had to get there and they're like, Rebbe, it's impossible. You can't do it. There's no way to get from Muncie to Brooklyn in that amount of time. And he said, we'll take care of it. And he sat in the front seat of the car. He usually sat in the back seat of the car. And he took his staff. This is what the book says. I can't tell you anything more than this. He took his staff. He had a little staff and he went like this. Huh? Shalom Aleichem. Huh? Shalom Aleichem. And then he waved it in front. He said, go. <laughs> I have no... They said in the book, they're like, we have no idea what he was doing. But as soon as I read that, as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the Ribbon Zerubba. That's what the Ribbon Zerubba did. I can't... Ex- they made it in time. Literally, right before Shkia, he jumped out of the car, did the bris. Or I, I don't remember if it was a pidyon or a bris. I don't remember which one. But he did it like right before Shkia and got it. Maybe it was like Hasidish Shkia, so it was like after, you know, right before it says. But he made it. It was there. It's the nuttiest story. But th- this is it. It took... And because it took a lot of energy, that's why you couldn't keep doing it. He had to stop. Because he was going around... <laughs> literally moving stars out of their paths. And therefore, he eventually just couldn't do it anymore. And that's why Bnei Yisrael started to go down. Now, the Rekinati says something similar. He says his ten fingers in the air represented the ten spheros. You know, all those that we say, the seven and the three, etc. To be miyached them together, to be mashpia everything against all of Amalek and knock out the din of Amalek by bringing chesed above everything and doing that. And we'll see later, it's possible he even put his fingers 
fingers together, which you're not supposed to do normally to put all the fingers clasped together. He might have not just stood up with his arms like that, but with his arms connected to each other. Connected to be able to connect everything, I don't know, to put everything together and to knock everything out. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says, no matter how you look at it, the point is that Moshe Rabbeinu was equal to all of Kla Yisrael. When he did something great, Bnei Yisrael prospered, and when not, then obviously Bnei Yisrael did not do the exact same thing right over there. Okay. Yeah, who is Yonatan? Yeah. If everything, if everything in the Torah is supposed to have affected Bnei Yisrael yeah. as a nation, how did this affect it? It's it shows. If we're talking about tefillah, again, there's so many different ways of answering that question. If we're talking about tefillah, then it's through the tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu. If it's how to fight a person like a mullik, then it's that. If it's that you have to use magic to fight magic, then it's that. There's so many things that you could have for something like this. Like, I, I, I can't, like, there's so many different ideas that you could get. But from this, I definitely have it. The ability to be able to understand that there's something above our pay, our pay grade when it comes to this stuff. The ten spheros and what the ten fingers represent. That in of itself is a massive lesson. According to, according to the answer where Moshe moved the stars to make the constellations not match up with yeah. the Mali planned so that they wouldn't be uh, unable to die that day, isn't that just giving power to these I do have a share on this about a mazel Yisrael. It was a, a little bit ago where technically we do have a mazel, but you were able to get over it. And the question is if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to beat the mazel. I don't know. I, I don't have a great answer for it, but I do have a bunch of things on this. My basic answer is, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows the mazelos to exist, even for Klau Yisrael, and only does Ein mazel Yisrael when we do something to deserve to be over it. So sometimes, maybe it is, maybe because they didn't deserve it, so therefore Moshe Rabbeinu had to do something supernatural to defeat it. I don't, it's not a great answer, but I think that's the basic answer behind it. I have an Ayelus Ashachar here, Rav Steinman, and also it's in Rabbeinu Yosef Nechemia, uh, the relative of the Chassam Sofer. He asks, how could it be that as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu put his arms down, everybody's like, oh. Now again, if it's burning constellations, that's one thing. But it, they look it up and they're like, hey! And then all of a sudden he puts his arms down and they're like, aw. And then everything's gone? And all of a sudden a mullet goes and kills them? They still have the resolve that they had five seconds ago because they remember they're davening for Moshe Rabbeinu. It goes like that? It just goes in a second and you lose it and it's gone? There's, is inspiration so fickle that like you have it and then it's gone and you, you can't get it back whatsoever? He says, we all know. That even if you do things L'Shem Shemayim in the beginning, you get into it and you're like, you know what, I'm going to learn that Gemara. I'm going to make that pair of tzitzis. I'm going to do something that's really, really awesome. It's really easy to forget Bishas Maisa while you're doing it. We even have Allah that by tzitzis, by making tzitzis, if you have it in mind in the beginning, that works throughout the whole way through. You say L'Shem Mitzvah, you don't have to say L'Shem Mitzvah tzitzis the whole time. You should, but you don't have to. If you do it in the beginning, that counts for the rest of it because that's the way we are. We're, we are fickle. We forget things really, really quickly. And even if we do things with the best of intentions, it doesn't last that way. It just doesn't. When fighting a war, of course, of course, the original thoughts were to fight a mullet because the Kaddish Baruch Hu told them to. But you know what it's like when you're in the middle of a war and you're winning? And all of a sudden you got a sword and you start beating people up and you're taking down a mullet after a mullet after a mullet. You know, at some point it's like, I'm the awesome one. Look at this. I, I, I'm on number 32. I just killed 32 people. I'm on 33 now. And you go one after the other. At some point, it's no longer HaKadosh Baruch who told me to fight. It's I'm an awesome warrior and I didn't even know it. I had absolutely no idea. That's what happens to everyone. 
Everyone. You could go in with the right intentions. How many people keep those intentions, says Rav Steinman? It just doesn't happen. And that's exactly what happened to Klau Yisrael. When his arms were up, they were able to have that resolve, and they were like, yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as soon as his arms went down, they were like, but me, I'm also here, and look what I just did. I just knocked the Amaliki's head off. I just stuck a sword right through his chest. I'm the one that did that. And they were super happy, as sick as that sounds, but it is war, right? They were able to get through, and they were able to do things. That's what ended up happening. Normally, we're protected by our original intentions. Be'idan rischa, in the middle of war, we are not. And if you lose that kavana for even a second, this is the result. A Amalek will win. When Moshe took his arms down and something happened, that was the result. That's the idea behind the Gavar Amalek. It's an awesome word. An awesome word. And it's a thousand percent true. I think everyone can see that in themselves. There are certainly other things that are being hinted to here without a question whatsoever. The Balatos will say that when you lift your hands up and feel and you dab it with all of your might, you will be successful in defeating the Yetzir Hara. Amalek within you will be destroyed. That's what happens when you dive in properly, it's going to be gone. So it's not about the war against the Moloch. It's about us nowadays. This word, these psukim, are talking about our fight against our Yetzirah constantly. Whenever we're lazy in our tefillah, and we allow things to just go, and all of a sudden I went from slach lanu to modim, and I have no idea how I just got there. I think there was a Takabe show for in between. Not sure if I ended up saying Vlam al or just skipped it to Valiru Shoayim. It's a Vav and Alamid, they kind of look the same. Whenever that happens, that's when Begavar Amalek. That's when your Yetzirah begins to destroy you. Yado is 20, he says. He says, for the man of the 20th generation, Avram Vinu. In his chus, Mug and Avram, we're going to be victorious in our daily battles. That's how the Balitosas put it. And that that's the idea. It is us every single day of the week, three times a day when we dive in Shema Nasser. Are you able to pull in that Kavana and to do it properly? The Chassam Sobra says the exact same thing, but he applies it to Torah. He says, Af Moshe Rabbeinu is the Isha Torah. He's the man that gave us the Torah itself. When we learn with all of our strength, when we sweat our way through something, then yeah, you will be successful. You're going to figure it out. But if you go in, let's just say, with a Dunkin' Donuts coffee leaning back in your chair and a little bit of a donut or half of a donut in your hand because you just ate half of it, and you're like, oh, get Tosfos. Of course you don't get Tosfos. Of course you're not going to get Tosfos. How do you expect to get Tosfos when you're not concentrating on it? You're sitting there and wondering like, is this better or is this better? You're wondering. That obviously it's a problem. I, obviously it's there. Like a guy who like comes in. I, this was a classic, classic move. A guy was blasting music on his headphones. Blasting music in one of those like boss uh, Bose headphones, you know, that you really shouldn't hear outside of it. But it was so loud that you could hear the rap music from outside, which I don't think is really music. It's just a bunch of people saying things that they shouldn't be saying. So when the guy was like walked into the bass medrash, right? Came, sat and down, sat down to learn with me, right? Came and sat down and he just said, he's just like, where are we? I'm just like, where are you? <laughs> where do you think you are? You are in the middle of a, of a song by Yi, I don't know what he was called at the time, by somebody who calls himself Kanye, right? And you're trying to sit down and learn this? You are not ready for this right now. You need to like do hachanas for the next 20 minutes, like do the halalukas like five times to get yourself ready. There is no way you can go from that to this. You just can't. You can't do it. That's the idea behind it. The Chassam Sofer says, he doesn't give the example of Kanye. The Chavitz Chaim says a similar remez. He says that the word Yorim is in future tense, not in past tense. It's not Harama, it's Yorim, he will. Meaning, and he says, the idea is, is that in every generation where Moshe Rabbeinu 
lifts up his arms and the koach of Torah is treated properly, people respect the Chachamim, people respect the Moshe Rabbeinu's of the generation, then the Gavar Yisrael. You will be fine. If the Torah is being treated properly in the Gavar Yisrael, and if not, then the Gavar Amalek. And that is something I truly believe is one of the reasons why America is where it is right now. We have a lot of faults, and I think we all understand them. We know exactly what our issues are. Well, some of us know some of our issues, right? But there's no question that the one thing that we've done really well for many, many years is treated Talmud HaChachamim with respect. We're not Sephardim yet. We're trying. We're trying to get to that level of, of, of Sephardim. But we have that idea of we know what Torah is. We're willing to pay for it. We're willing to make it look good. We're mil- willing to do certain things that will be out there. And that's a huge schus. That when we act with Kasher Yorim Moshe, when we lift up Moshe Rabbeinu in the future, then the Gavar Yisrael, we're going to have that Gavros. And if we say to ourselves, it's not really about that. We don't need to. I mean, come on. It's fine if they sit on wooden benches that don't have any cushioning on them. Yeah, then the Gavar Amalek. Then a Baruch Hu says, oh, so you don't need the money then. <laughs> if you don't want to spend it on that, then don't worry. I'll take it and I'll use it for something else. I'll try to, I'll try to use it somewhere else. That's how the Chavetz Chaim puts it. He said... And people pay for it, it's great. And when they don't, they don't. That's the idea behind it. Now the Chidah talks about, he says, Vigavar stands for Kla Yisrael. What are the three signs of a Jew? The three signs of a Jew. He says, they're Gomle Chasadim, Baishanim, embarrassed, you know, they don't, wouldn't just be, go out there and do whatever. And Rachmanim. Okay? They're, that is the word Gavar. Gomle Chasadim, Baishanim, and Rachmanim is Govar Yisrael. When we act in that way, says the Chidah, then we're Makayim, the, whatever the Ratzon Shomakom is, the Ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch and then we're the Govar. Then we're Yisrael. And if not, that's when Amalek comes in. That's when bad things happen. That's the idea behind it. I've got a Meshiloch over here. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable one. You can see it. He gives a good mush over here. But i got to get to the last part over here because this is, uh, this is my favorite part. The Sefer Torah Chaim Amuna says from Sifrei Chain, which I think means Kabbalistic Svarim. He doesn't explain who, and I, I obviously didn't see anything anywhere, but he says from Sifrei Chain that you shouldn't raise your hands above your head anymore in tefillah. You shouldn't do it because it causes din, midas din, to strengthen itself against you. But if all of a sudden you notice for whatever reason your arms are up in the air, involuntarily, subconsciously, you find your arms up, immediately daven for whatever you want because that is a simon from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you are being listened to at that moment. So we don't daven this way anymore. We don't daven with our hands up. But if you find yourself that way, you totally didn't mean to. But you find yourself that way, do it then. Ask for Mashiach. Do anything you want at that moment because that is an auspicious simon at that time. Now hold on. There is a safer Tzedah Lederach. Tzedah was written by the Nodi Behuda Rabbi Chesko Lando. He wrote it on Rashi. And he wonders. He said, I've always wondered, right? And he says, from my youth I wondered, why don't we daven like this? Why in the world don't we daven like Moshe Rabbeinu davened? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. We see this throughout Tanakh, right? For example, Vaharimosi Yadi El Hashem Kel I lift up my hands, said Avram Vinu, to Hashem up above. I lift up my hands up above. That's, that's how we davened. The Medrash says that Rivka Yimenu saw Yitzchak Avinu davening in the field. You know what the Medrash says? He saw him, she saw him davening with his arms up. And she knew that only Tzadikim daven with their arms up. And therefore she said, who is that guy? Because that man's a Tzadik. 
And when she heard it was Yitzchok Avinu, she was super happy that she was going to marry a tzaddik. Because that's how Yitzchok Avinu davened. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu lifted up his hands here, but also whenever he left Mitzrayim to go daven for Arba or for Borod or Tzvardeh, he lifted up his hands to the heavens. That's how he davened. He lifted up his hands to Shemayim. Shlomo Melech did the same when he built the base of Mikdash. He lifted his arms up to the heavens above. And don't say that, no, maybe it's only by them. We have a minog brought by the Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer that a shliach tzibor for a tainus, for a tainus, should have two people on his sides, just like Aaron and Chur were on the sides of Moshe Rabbeinu. For a tainus, when you get up and you daven and there's a huge tainus for rain, etc., you should have two people by the shliach tzibor on either side of him from this, from Moshe Rabbeinu davening over here. It's brought in the tour in Simon, in Hilchus Tainus, Tapresh Yud Tess. Why in the world didn't we take on the other minog of lifting up your hands to Shemayim? Why did the Pirkei Rebbe Lezer and the tour concentrate on the two other people next to him and not concentrate on why they were next to him? They were next to him to keep his arms up. So why don't we do that? That's the Tzedah Lederach's question. It's a question that I've had for years. What in the world are we doing? We're sitting there with our arms down, our arms like this. So whatever we're doing when we're davening, we're certainly, you've never seen it, except maybe an umam somewhere. You've never seen somebody daven with their arms up to the heavens like that. So we thought, okay, maybe it's only because the greatest men did so. Maybe that is the idea. It's only the greatest people who did so, right? So it would be egotistical for us to get up and gaivedic, for us to go up and be able to lift our arms up to the Shemayim. But it can't be, because Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer says in that Medrash that every time Moshe Rabbeinu lifted up his arms, the people lifted up their arms with them. When he got down on his knees, they got down on their knees. When he bowed to the ground and prostrated himself to the ground, they prostrated to the ground. They followed Moshe, which means they davened, the people davened. And although Dordea is obviously way greater than everybody here, still, this should be something that at least some people should do. There must be some Chachamim who would take this on to be that person in the generation. And we see from the Zohar that people did this for Kabbalistic reasons. So how could this not be Mutter? Yeah, Dave. Shlomo Mel, Shlomo Mel did it when he built the base of Mikdash. That's what I'm saying. So I'm saying that was still before the base of Mikdash. After the base of Mikdash, the Kohanim did it, and then later on, Chazal made the the It's a good call that the Kohanim. But we don't see that anywhere. If that would be somewhere where we say we don't do it because the Kohanim did it in the base of Mikdash and we stopped. We'd have to see that, we'd have to see that somewhere. And what he means, by the way, what Dave means is that although Kohanim nowadays do Birchas Kohanim by spreading their arms out here, in the base of Mikdash, they lifted their hands up above. So that their hands looked like windows. Meitzitz mina harakim. And that's where you get the hey harakim from, the five windows, etc. However you count them within the hands themselves. I'm sorry? Right, because he couldn't lift it above the tzitz, etc. Right. I hear it. Show me that. You know what? But show me it. There should be a simon, and that's a Tzedek question. Why? We do have, we do have that they took over certain powers. But we don't know this. Where did this come from? And now, he says it's true also. Rava davened with his hands on his chest like a servant before his master. And that's like this. You fold in your thumbs, you put the right hand over the left hand, and you put it over your heart like that, and that's how you used to daven. And that's that way. And that is how we possibly, and it is brought down in Simon Sadi Hey, that that's all a person is supposed to do. Sadi Bez and Sadi Hey, how to daven, etc. with your hands in a certain way, put your right hand over itself. But even that's a wonder. Why did Rava change the method of davening for so many years in which people lifted their hands up? Why did he do anything different from the others themselves? Well, how do we know it was the right thing to do? Maybe he lifted his arms up. How do we know that he went like this? Maybe he lifted his arms up like this. Right? Maybe he could have done that. Why in the world is that the way it is out? So he says, the only answer I have, and the only thing that gives me comfort, he says, that we don't do it, is that maybe the nation started doing it. 
we have this concept that when the nations take over something that might be beloved by a Kaddish Baruch such as a matseva, a way of bringing a korban on a matseva, there was a matseva, like a certain stand of whatever it was, when the nations started doing it, we were no longer able to do a matseva. It was something that Hashem loved. And we say, no, the nations do it now, we don't daven that way. We don't daven that way. We don't do that sort. So when the nations started davening with their arms up, praying to God in such a fashion, we don't do the same thing. We're not going to copy the way they did it. Once the other nations used certain practices for idolatry, that's when it stopped. And he said, and that's when it stopped. And we know there are certain practices, certain other nations that do do stuff like that. And therefore, we, we did it. Now, we couldn't publicize that. Just like by the Matseva. The Matseva doesn't say why we stopped doing Matseva. It's the Rishonim that said because the nations back then started doing it. But at some point, if we go around telling people we're not going to do like you, that would look bad. So it was never publicized, said the Tzedah Baderach. We're not going to tell you why we don't do it, but for us, in private, why don't we daven that way anymore? It must be that that's that. However, since this is clearly what Moshe Rabbeinu did, then maybe we can add something to what we said before. Do you know how we said how the ten fingers represented the ten spheros? Right, and we said that he was able to be mevalvo by taking his staff and go all the way around. It's possible that he did, says the Tzedel Aderach, mix his fingers. And there is a way to daven that's different from how all the other nations daven. We just don't do it. Instead of davening with our arms up, like looking up to Shemayim like that, Moshe Rabbeinu may have put his fingers together, and I'm not going to do it, but put his fingers together in daven in that fashion, to put all the ten, whatever the ten fingers represented, to daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It seems that that's what he did which was successful. And that's a way of davening that may be successful for all of Klal Yisrael. I have absolutely no idea if that's something that's stronger, something that's better, something that everybody should practice, but it's clear that the minig has left Klai Yisrael, and it's super unfortunate, because I really feel that this is something that could train, could change our way of davening completely. I think it's very different when you daven, and you li- literally put your hands up to Shemaim itself. Moshe Rabbeinu did that in his war against the Malik, and it worked. Maybe that would be something different for us. Now we have the shuckle. The shuckle goes a little bit different. I don't even shuckle. I don't even shuckle. I, I, it's something that one, one should do. I really like the Torah Chaim Amunah, though. If a person does see that all of a sudden his arms are up in the middle of tefillah involuntarily, do it. Do it right then. If you did it on, by accident, it happens on purpose, you shouldn't do it. But by accident it happens, do it. There's something to it. There's something powerful about such a tefillah. All right, guys, we'll stop with that. Have a great Shabbos.